men from the grave, that one day we will rise is what we're understanding from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what I want you to know as we start this morning is that this is not a new concept. This was not a new concept to the Corinthian believers. It's a cardinal truth of all Christianity from the very beginning of time. It goes as far back as Job. In Job chapter 19, verse 26, Job said this, And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh I will see, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job understood at some in some way, inspired by Scripture, that he would see the Lord. Jesus consistently throughout his ministry talked about the physical, literal, bodily resurrection. Turn with me to John chapter 5, and we'll actually uh, look at a few verses here in John. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says, Do not be amazed at this time, for, uh, for, at, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Verse, or chapter 6, verse 44, look what it says, uh, flip the page. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 11, verse 25, a few verses over, uh, flip there with me. John chapter 11, verse 25, this is Jesus in his ministry speaking to the masses. He says this, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It was part of his ministry that he shared this. The apostles preached it. Turn to Acts chapter 4. And we're, we're building a case here that this is fundamental to the Christian belief. Peter, Acts chapter 4, verse 10, says this. If I can find it. Here we go. Verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Paul in first or 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Look what it says. It says, Because we know that the one who raised the Lord, Jesus from the dead, will also raise up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. This is Paul speaking. And uh, he continues in different letters. In uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 4, look what it says. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day we will live with God in a new body in glory. One, others, uh, one other verse, Philippians, you can turn back a couple verses. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Look what it says. It says, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven. How many are thankful for that, right? That when we accept Christ, we're no longer, uh, we're not of this world, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will, doesn't say might, 
It will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Again and again throughout Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, the Paul, they all believed and taught a physical, literal, bodily resurrection. And last week in our, in our chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we realized that the Corinthians, they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they had not believed that they would be resurrected. So they understood that Jesus was, but they didn't believe it themselves. And last week, uh, Paul starts his, this, this great discourse, uh, and he says to the Corinthians, look, you believe the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not only did you believe it, you received it, you were saved by it. We studied that last week. And Paul started where they believed their eyewitness accounts. And uh, by the way, if you weren't here last week, the proof of the resurrection uh, in 1 Corinthians, the first few verses that we looked at last week, and the implications of that, you need to understand that that will help you to share God's word and God's um, God's plan for others and I encourage you to get that but now in verses 12 through 19 and we'll, we'll turn there at this point turn uh, to 1 Corinthians 15 12 through 19 it's like a good debate Paul brings a foundation for us to stand on he brings this fantastic logical position to support the idea, again, of a physical, literal, bodily resurrection. And if the Corinthians' position were to prevail, if their doubts were to continue, the questions or the disbelief, Paul shows them that they would have no past or future. And Paul's argument is irrefutable. I want you to stand. We're going to read God's Word. And as you stand, I want you to understand crystal clear that the resurrection is fundamental to our faith. We stake our hope, our faith, our future in the resurrection. Resurrection has been attacked. It's been ignored. You need to understand that it's been explained away. It's been ridiculed. But for Christ followers that understand God's word, resurrection remains the key to everything. I need you to understand that, that our salvation depends on it. Our doctrine is based on it. Our future hope and eternal life is based on it. And Paul understood that the Corinthians, they needed to be challenged. And the Holy Spirit knew that we would need to be challenged and to be strengthened in our understanding of the resurrection. And so he builds his case here. And what we're going to read here in just a second is uh, is, is Paul assuming that the critics are right, that the resurrection did not happen. And so what we're going to see is Paul assuming that, look, that Christ's flesh is rotting in a cave or a tomb. It's assuming that he never came out, that the disciples never saw Jesus, that Jesus never appeared to them. We're going to assume, like some liberals say, in fact, a lot of liberals say, that there was no physical resurrection, only an influence or a spirit was resurrected. And what Paul gives us here is seven consequences to that type of thinking. And, uh, and so let's, let's read it, starting in verse 12. It says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he has, or that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. For it is, uh, for if the, de- the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only this life, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you challenge us in our thinking. You stretch us, God, and you can illuminate your word and it can be, it can just uh, transform us. It can really make the difference in our lives. And God, I pray that as we study your resurrection today and uh, next week, God, I pray that you would be glorified and honored. And Lord, we pray and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. The first consequence, so to speak, without the resurrection Christ is dead and gone. Let's look at it in verse 12. It says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then Paul begins. He says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He says the same thing in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. This is a logical deduction. He's saying, If it's true, how could you believe in Christ. If it's true that there's no resurrection, how could you believe that even Christ was raised? And some people will look at this and they say, well, Jesus Christ was different. He was God, right? And some people deny his humanity. But I want to just share with you that he was a man. In fact, everyone in the early church believed that Jesus was a man. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter, the very first time he's preaching and he's, he's uh, sharing uh, scripture, he's saying, he says, O men of Israel, he says, listen to me. This, Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. He's acknowledging, he said, look, We've been walking with Jesus. We've been talking with Jesus. The 500 at one time saw the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He's saying, you know it to be true, Acts 2. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21, which is a little later um, that we'll study next week. Look what it says. It says, for since death came through a man, the, resurrected, or the resurrection of dead comes also through a man. Galatians chapter 4, I know I'm looking at a few verses. You can write these down and look back to these. They'll they'll bless you. uh, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent us his son, born of a woman, right? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sonship. 1 Timothy chapter 2, one, one other verse here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God, everyone say one God, 
and one mediator between God and man, the man, or the man, Christ Jesus. If there's ever a doubt that Jesus was a man, you can look to Scripture, and Scripture is crystal clear that God, that Jesus was fully God, 100% God, and also 100% man. You say, how is that possible? We call it the incarnation. And we don't understand it perfectly, and that's okay. But the details of his life indicate that he was a man. I'm going to read a few scriptures here, and uh, you can uh, try to capture them if you want. Listen to what it says. Matthew 1.18 says that he was conceived in a woman's womb. Matthew 1.25, he was born in a human manner. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 says that he was circumcised. Matthew 26, 38 says he possessed a human soul. John 1, 14 says that he had a human body. Luke 2, 52 says he grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God and with man. John eleven thirty five 35 says that he cried. Matthew 4, 2 says that he was hungry. John 19, 28 says that he was thirsty. Matthew 8, 24 says he was sleepy. John 4, 6 says he grew weary. Uh, John eleven thirty three. he felt sorrow and grief and pain. Luke t- uh, 23, 33, he was nailed to a cross, right? John eleven thirty. 30, he died. John 19, 34, he had his side pierced. In Matthew 27, 59, he was buried just like any other man. There's no doubt he was a man. Jesus was a man, and if the resurrection is not a reality then he is dead and gone. We could pretend that he's not, but if the resurrection of the dead is not a reality, is not truth, then Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave. Number two. The second thing we see in here in these verses is that without the resurrection, preaching is a waste of time. Look at it, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. It's useless. It's meaningless. It doesn't come to any account. The heart of the New Testament preaching is based on the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, and you can kind of flip around with me uh, on these verses. This is very interesting. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, look what it says. Uh, Right after the, the verse that we just read, it says, But God raised him from the dead. This is Peter freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And how many say amen to that? Acts 4 verse 2 says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles, what were they doing? They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They made it crystal clear. The preaching in the New Testament was clear in that way. Acts chapter 10, a few uh, chapters over. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Look what it says. It says, We are all witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. They're talking to the Gentiles here, saying, look, Jesus is alive. Acts chapter 17 continues all the way throughout uh, these verses. Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. As it was the custom, Paul went to the synagogue, and on, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ, the Christ, had to suffer and to rise 
from the dead. A little later in, in verse 31 in that chapter, again, we see Paul in Athens, a secular culture. Verse, verse 31 says, For he had set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He had given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. One other verse, King Agrippa, we read this last week in Acts chapter 26. And we're building a, a case here with Paul. Acts 26, verse 22 says, But I have had God's help this very day. This is Paul now uh, speaking to King Agrippa. And he says this, And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and the Moses had ha uh, said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as uh, the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. All right, we just went through a lot of verses. We say, why is that is so important? It's because we're building a case here saying, look, if the resurrection was not a reality, if, it if there was no resurrection, then preaching, the New Testament preaching, would be useless, would be meaningless. But, Resurrection is the core of the gospel. You say, and you say, well, I know people that really question this. Listen, if you know someone that does not believe, or if you're here this morning, you say, I, I don't believe in the resurrection, you are believing false doctrine. There are mainline churches that do not support the resurrection of Jesus, and they are false teachers. It is no gospel. If it's not true, then there's nothing to preach about. There's no power to save. There's no power to heal. There's no power to live or to help. Or to, there's no hope. There's no message. It's empty. It's without substance. And there are liberals that will preach, that will stand up in pulpits all across America. And I'm sad to say that many of them are preaching fairy tales. They preach current events whatever itching ears would want. And many of those churches are nothing more than social clubs. Listen, the word of God is crystal clear that the resurrection is a fact. And we see that. And Paul continues his argument. And the third thing he says is without the resurrection, Christian faith is empty. Look at what it says. In verse 14b, so we see at the first part that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The idea here is that it's void, it's empty, literally, a zero, there's no effect. If your faith, uh, if you say, well, I believe in it, and it's not true, it's a delusion then, it's a ripoff, the joke is on you, and you should have slept in this morning. Or got out and went snow, snowshoeing in the wonderful, cold, crisp air. It's interesting. When you think about it, if you didn't believe in the resurrection, and you say, well, why do people not? Well, you can see why the world would believe in no resurrection, because they can do then whatever they want. That there's no judgment, there's no accountability, no absolutes. Very humanistic, very liberal. If there's no resurrection... And you say, oh, I, I believe, then your faith is really nothing. Faith is only as, as good as the object in which you place your faith. If there's no resurrection, 
What it means is that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? Joseph and Moses and David and Gideon and Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah and Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and you fill in the blank from the Old Testament, they all had empty faith. And you look at Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, all the trials and all the mockings and all the imprisonment, the stonings and those that were put to death, believing they would all be deemed stupid because of an empty faith. Does that make sense? Everything you hope for, church, everything that I hope for is based on the resurrection. It is a non-negotiable. And Paul continues his argument in verse 15. Let's look at what it says. Verse 15 says, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not, if, or, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. What we see here is that without the resurrection, the apostles are liars. This is interesting that Peter and John and Paul and James and Thomas and Matthew, Mark and Luke, they were all liars because at one point or another, they all wrote, they all said that Jesus was alive. And if that's the case, if they said that Jesus was alive, then they were frauds. They would not be trustworthy eyewitnesses. They would not be ambassadors of the truth or hope or glory. And they would be misrepresenting God in the worst way. They would be not great people, but they'd be actually wicked teachers. It was interesting. I was uh, listening to one pastor talk on this subject, and I looked for the source. I couldn't find it, but he, he, uh, he identified that there was a survey among all seminarians, like they, a cross-section of liberal all the way to all conservative, and 54 people that were in seminary, people that were studying God's Word to, to be in, in ministry, uh, 54% said that there was no resurrection. That's a lot of people. That's more than half. And then it said, and that's the same study, which I couldn't find, but that the liberal theologians, when they identified just those, 92% did not believe in the resurrection. So you may be thinking here this morning, saying, boy, you know, what's the big deal? Why are you, you know, going into such length at this? Because there are people that you will visit, that you will know, maybe people in your family that question the resurrection. And you need to know deep down that it's a fact that God's word is crystal clear. And you say, well, these, these theologians, how do they, uh, you know, what do they think about the apostles? That'd be a good question to ask. You say, well, are they saying that the apostles are lying because the apostles were crystal clear? And many would say, well, no, they are good religious leaders. And I'm saying, no way. Either they're telling the truth or they weren't. Because good religious leaders do not say, I saw something, I touched them, and then if it, if it was not true. The point is, you can't believe something different on this point. Everything falls apart if you don't. How would you believe anything? Salvation, healing, helping for the hurting, comfort. How would you know that God cares? 
And by the way, the Old Testament prophets, this doesn't say it here, they would have all been liars because they were uh, prophesying. Jesus himself would have been a liar. They would have all been scammers. You should put your Bible away, put it on the shelf, let it just, you know, you could burn it, you could do whatever because it's not true. But for the apostles in particular, if you run it out, they would have been fools. If they, if they said that, they, that there was a resurrection, they saw it and it wasn't true because many of them, as you know, died, gave their lives, and they would have been lunatics. They would not have been good. And so the apostles, without the resurrection, the apostles would have been liars. Number five, and we need to move here. Without the resurrection, we possess a powerless faith and we remain in our sin. Verse 16 and 17, look what it says. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. This is interesting. This is not interesting. It's devastating. If you are still in your sins, that means that you are accountable. You are not forgiven. In Romans chapter 4, Verse 25, look what it says. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Turn with me there. Verse 25, it says, He was delivered over to death. Why? For our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In other words, He was raised for our justification. And if that was not true, then the record of your sins was not wiped out. And if that's the case, the record of your sin, everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you've thought, is still remains against you. Without the resurrection, we remain guilty. We will never be saved if there was no resurrection of the dead. Verse 18. Uh, turn back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. The sixth thing here is that without the resurrection, the dead are gone forever. Those who are buried in, the, in their graves are lost. They're eternally ruined. And so Paul and James and John and all the others are gone. So are Augustine and Luther and Wesley and uh, Calvin. And so will be Billy Graham even. And so will your grandmother who loved Jesus. Hell would hold them all without the resurrection. Satan would win, and we would be damned. You cannot just change Scripture to say what you want. If the dead did not rise, Christ is not raised. Preaching is useless. Faith is empty. The apostles are liars. Sin is not forgiven. The dead are lost forever. And lastly, in verse 19, this is interesting, it says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We'd be pitied more than all men. We are to be pitied. Why is that? Because we are living today in a system that delays reward. The promise for us is heaven, right? It's something we look forward to. We sacrifice now for a future reward. We give to missions now for a future benefit. And if all we get in is this life, 
I would submit that it's not worth it. Plus, there's no power, there's no peace. It would be a dream world. You better get checked out if you believe that there's not a resurrection. See, Christian life is hard. How many of you have experienced that? That there's a difficult, that it's not easy. And there's more people dying today, more people being persecuted today than ever before. And the reality is, it's pretty safe in America for the most part. But there could be a day that you'll travel for missions or maybe even here in the States where you might lose everything for the sake of the gospel. It's possible. And it would not be worth it if the resurrection was not true. But in verse 20, it says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It's crystal clear. It's black and white. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to know, church, is that because of that truth, Jesus is alive. Everyone say amen to that. And because of that truth, preaching does transform people's lives. Say amen. God changes lives. He turns us around by the power of Christ. Because the resurrection is a a fact, faith is powerful. It's transforming. And because the resurrection is true, the apostles are trustworthy. You can put your hope in it. You can bank on it. And because the resurrection is true, Jesus is faithful and true. And we have hope for tomorrow, hope for eternity, that we'll be caught up with Jesus, just like he said. And we are not to be pitied because the resurrection is true. We should be envied instead. And I believe that deep down that's the case. And as I was studying and as I was praying and just asking the Lord for revelation, the one that, put, that just stuck out to me most is that because of the resurrection, sins Power has been broken. Jesus can set you free and your friends free, your family members free. I am not a slave to sin because of the resurrection. I can be victorious. You can be victorious because of the resurrection, because of the physical, the literal and bodily resurrection of mankind. And so the message this morning is, do you believe? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And this morning, if you haven't, or maybe you've fallen away and you've lost your faith, this morning, there's, you, I would say, don't walk out of these doors without getting your life right with Jesus. And we're going to give you the opportunity in just a second. But there, I believe that there's some here, and I would say even for me at some level, not completely, but track with me here for a second. As believers, we don't always remember the resurrection like we should. I'm kind of glad. I said last week I wish this was Easter Sunday series, you know, because we're talking about the resurrection. I'm, I'm actually glad. I was thinking about that later this week because 
often it's Easter only that we talk about this. But it's God's Word. It's transforming today in February with sub-zero degree temperatures, right? It's transforming. It warms our heart. (laughs) But the reality is that some of us have forgotten the power, the truth of the resurrection. And and I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the reminder. And next week, we're going to look at what does that mean and what is that, how does that uh, you know, look and what do we expect in eternity? What will our bodies look like? What, and and it's, it's exciting. I don't want you to miss it over the next couple of weeks. And, but this morning, my challenge is to get back to God's Word, to trust His Word, to stand on it. And if it's, if it's been attacked at your office, if there's been debate, you can stand firm. You can know for sure that the resurrection is a literal fact. And let that be a comfort to you and to those that you talk. And then the third thing is that there is a need for resurrection power in our day-to-day walk with the Lord. We need it so our marriages can be successful, so that we can love our spouses in a proper way after we've been hurt or there's been disconnect. We need the power of the resurrection. We need the power of the resurrection to, for our health and for our, the reality that our bodies will not live forever. And if we're ailing in any way, the power of resurrection is available that we can walk in health and wholeness with Jesus. When it comes to our finances, I believe that the resurrection power can help us It can give us, according to God's word, direction, things to follow, his plan. But I keep on coming back to that sin area. See, some of us, we struggle with sin. We're in the same sin, repeated, times 10, times 100, same thing that we dealt with five years ago. But listen, the reality is if we put our faith in a resurrected Jesus, The power of resurrection for you is that Jesus can break the cycle of sin in your life. He can come down and he can help you. He can set you free. You are not a slave to sin. It does not have to be the way it is today for the rest of your life. The things you struggle with, the things that only you know about, listen, God and His power is available because of the resurrection. And we need that. I'm going to ask that you stand this morning, everyone right where you are. I want you to close your eyes and I want you just to set your heart on the Lord. I'm going to pray here and then I'm going to ask you some questions and ask for some response. But let's pray first. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would just touch our hearts in this moment. That you would make your word come alive. Help us to respond in appropriate ways, believing in your word. God, I thank you for your presence and your power this morning. Thank you for meeting us in worship. Thank you for your word. And we've been through a lot of verses, but God, your word is consistent. It's true. We can, we can take it to the bank. And God, I pray that we would respond. 
for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, or maybe you're away from the Lord and if you feel like if you were to to die today, uh, tragically, that you would not live with Jesus in heaven forever, if you don't have that assurance and you're ready to accept Jesus in any of those circumstances, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you this morning. Pray for God's saving resurrection power to be at work this morning. Anybody at all? Say, that's where I am today. Lord, help me. Anybody at all? Just give you a second. Just search your heart, saying, man, if my life is not right with God, I need to surrender. I need to to allow Jesus to save me. All right. With your head continually bowed, no one raised their hands there. How many would just be honest to say, Pastor, this has been a good reminder of the resurrection, and I needed to hear that, and I need to walk in the truth of that? Just raise your hand. Just say, yep, that's that's me, and I'm raising my hand, and I, I get that. And the reason we would raise our hand is because we need resurrection power. And this is, with seriously, very confidential, please. If you're here this morning and you're saying there are relationships that need, I need the power of the resurrection, or my finances, or there's health issues, or sin issues, if you need the power of the resurrection to be at work in your life, For any reason, in particular, today, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Yeah. And now I want you to move forward. If you raised your hand, I just want you to move quickly. I want you to come to the altar. And I just, come on, just right now. A bunch of you raise your hands. You're not going to be alone. No one's going to know what you're dealing with. It could be a sin issue, certainly. It could be a health issue. It could be a relationship issue. If you need the power of the Holy Spirit at work today in your life, I want you to come and I want you to receive what God has for you. Do you believe that God can touch you in an instant, in a moment? We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to just be at work right now in this place. And I'm going to ask the board members to come, those that are here. Larry, if you could slip away too. And and, uh, we're going to come. We're going to lay our hands. Uh, Pastor Pete, we're just going to pray. We're going to partner with you here just for a moment. We're not going to belabor this. But can you expect and ask the Lord to meet you this morning? And if, you've got, if you know someone up here, come put your arm around them so they're not alone. Let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit right now to be welcome in this place, to move on our behalf. And you can sing along with Pastor Bobby if you're not praying with us up here this morning. Hallelujah. God, I just declare today over your people that sin has lost its grip on us, that we are overcomers, that we are whole and healthy in Jesus' name, that our finances will come in line with Scripture, that our discipline will be made strong because of your word and the influence in our lives, that we would walk in victory in our relationships, Lord, that you would be at work in our lives, that you would transform us by the power of your resurrection.
God, we declare it. We walk in that truth. And Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now I want your eyes on me just for a moment before we leave here. The reality is, you can hear a message like this and you can do a couple things. You can put it away and say, all right, that's good knowledge. And that's, that's part of it. You want to do that. You want to bank this in your memory so you can recall this. So you can. But listen, the power of the gospel is, the gospel means good news, right? And what we're preaching on these weeks, the resurrection is good news. And it's not just for us. It's not just for these four walls. The good news is for your neighbors. It's for your co-workers. It's for your employees. This good news is for your spouse, for your kids. And can we walk this out? Can we be vocal to share as the Lord prompts us to do it? How many of you know someone that needs this good news? Right? Your daughter, a son, a spouse. We are the bearers of this great news. And I just want to commission you that with this last prayer, this benediction, that we would go with authority and power and with boldness to share God's word. This week in Maui, God's going to use you. <laughs> I believe it, Bob, for your son. We're praying and for your son and daughter-in-law. They need this. That's where it hits home. How many months, Hurdle family, have you been praying for Megan, right? She needs this understanding. She needs it again. She needs to surrender. And how many others of you know your employees need to know, don't they? They need, to, they need to understand this. Students at school, your friends need to hear this. Rich, the people you're walking with you're, that you love so dearly, they need this truth. We are responsible. We hold the truth. But let's hold it with open hands to be able to share let God use us this week. God, I pray that this word would burn deep in our hearts more than just a Sunday morning, but God, that it would make a difference this week. And God, that we would see your miraculous power at work through our testimony, through our example. Give us boldness. And Lord, I pray, like I often do, that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.